Hello and a very warm welcome to a brand new episode of the When in Spain podcast. It's great to be back after almost a year. Okay, there goes a Madrid city tour bus. <laughs> and uh, thank you for joining me wherever you're listening from around the world. It's great to bring you a slice of Spain. Spanish life, culture, history, food and drink, places and spaces, really a little bit of everything, un poquito de todo. And uh, I'm coming to you from, well, just off Calle de Atocha, and I'm standing at the beginning of Calle de Santa Isabel, under an almond tree, which is in full blossom, absolutely beautiful. It's a Saturday afternoon, it's about 5 p.m. There's not a cloud in the beautiful blue sky. It's warm, it's probably uh, 23 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in American money, but it's, yeah, it's kind of shirt sleeves weather. And yeah, the city is uh, buzzing with everyone with a spring in their step, pun intended. Um, there are beautiful blossoms all around the city now. The almonds and cherry trees are in blossom, uh, which is adding a really beautiful splash of color around the city. It's a very, very special time of year. Why am I standing on Calle Atocha? Well, I'm going to take you on a little trip down memory lane. Well, my memory lane, at least, anyway. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a nostalgia walk because, for me, this part of the city really is very special. Because uh, where I'm standing now, I'm just looking across to the Anton Martin metro stop, the little uh, the steps that emerge from the pavement with the uh, very uh, iconic diamond metro sign in red, white and blue. And, and it's in a little square. We've got people sitting outside sipping coffee. There are two guys in front of me sipping glasses of red wine. Looks like they're sharing a few croquetas. It's uh, nice and lively. We've got the uh, little kiosco selling newspapers and magazines there, advertising Hola or Hello magazine. The metro stop Anton Martin is the very first metro stop that I emerged from. And my very first visit to Madrid, or really when I first came to live in Madrid and my first stint living in Madrid, way back about 12 or 13 years ago now, I think. And this metro station was my first snapshot of Madrid. When I came out of the metro, I hadn't seen anything of the city. I'd never been here before. There's a, uh, another Madrid city tour bus going by. Not many tourists on it, but there we go. It's still early in the season, I guess. When I emerged from the Anton Martin metro station, um, this was my first snapshot of Madrid, which was uh, Calle Atocha. With my suitcase, and I dragged it down the hill, made a left into the neighborhood of Huertas or Las Letras, which is a very pretty neighborhood, considered Madrid's literary quarter, where Cervantes once upon a time lived. A neighborhood uh, which I would say, if you're on a first visit to Madrid, I would highly recommend staying in. Anyway, so I came out of this metro stop. I'd never been to the city before. I didn't really know what to expect. Had very, very little Spanish. And I'd arranged to uh, flat share in the neighborhood of Huertas. Met my landlady, 
my chain-smoking landlady who offered me a cigarette from her silver cigarette case on entering the uh, apartment. And um, I shared this cockroach-infested apartment with very strange religious artefacts all over the place and two other quite strange guys. And uh, yet, so it's quite nostalgic for me. Uh, and this, this was really my first impression of Madrid, Calle Atocha. Geographically, where we are is uh, almost equidistant between the Puerta del Sol and Atocha Station. And uh, Calle Atocha runs all the way down, connects the two. It's, uh, it's not really a very, you know, amazingly beautifully special street, but uh, it's very Spanish. You've got, um, you know, your terrazas, your six-storey buildings with their their balconies and their shutters and you know it's uh, it's, quite, it's kind of very spanish in that respect but what my plan was today is to have a little wander down one of my favorite streets and it's called calle de santa isabel calle santa isabel and um, i like this street very much i'm very fond of the street because it's very eclectic it's got a lot going on on it <laughs> Um, which I'm going to talk about. So my plan is in this episode is we're going to take you on a little virtual tour, a little bit of ASMR maybe, if you like. Before we get into that, I would just like to say, yes, it's been a long time since I last produced uh, a When in Spain podcast episode. Uh, almost a year. Great to be back. My intention is to uh, really try and carry on with the podcast now in 2023. I don't think I can promise an episode every week because of uh, various other commitments going on in my life with work. And I'm very soon to become a dad for the first time. Our son is due at the very beginning of May, so I'm very much aware that life is going to change fairly dramatically soon. And what I thought would be a really nice way to get back into the episode is doing really what I started doing, which was walking and talking. It was guiding you guys, listeners around, bits of Madrid, describing what I was seeing, letting you guys soak up the sounds and kind of sit back and relax and build a picture of Madrid in your, in your imagination. And so that's what we're going to do. Let's walk. It's about 20 past five in the evening. And I guess really it's pretty quiet still, even on a Saturday, um, because... As many of you will very well know, the madrileños really don't go out until much later. Um, but I think what tends to happen, you know, when the weather suddenly, the nice weather arrives, that uh, they have more ganas, more desire to get out and be outside. Um, so maybe they might go out a little bit earlier on a sunny Saturday evening. But at the moment, on Calle Santa Isabel, it's fairly quiet, and I know this street to be very lively. Uh, quite a few people milling around, but um, I don't think m- compared to, you know, 8 o'clock this evening, it'll be much, uh, much, much, much busier. First stop then, and these are kind of little mini landmarks on this street. Okay, so first stop then would be, I guess, this bar called El Parrondo. No, I'm, I'm calling it out because it's a very old school traditional bar but uh, does good vermouth uh, on tap. The guy who runs the place is a bit of a character as well. 
and I think for me, I haven't been here for quite a long time, but um, it's it's it can be quite a, a, a fun place when it gets a little bit raucous uh, later in the evening. Cash only, by the way. I'm just looking. It says solo se acepta efectivo, so cash payment only. Immediately opposite are one, two, three, four, about five kind of market stalls. They're kind of shuttered at the moment. Um, I'm guessing because they'll open up a little bit later this evening. Uh, you've got Carnes, P. Martin, you've got Pescados, La Central, Meat, Fish, Carniceria, Chacuteria, uh, looks like it says Palacio, I think, yeah, uh, which is at number three, Calle Santa Isabel. All of these shutters are down at the moment, they're all heavily graffitied <laughs> with quite bright and colourful murals. Um, these are, you know, working, working uh, market stalls, as I said. We, and you've got really kind of everything you need. You've got fish, meat, uh, cold cuts, fruit. And then there's another one here, which is called El Paleto de Cuenca. I'm not sure what that is because it says Especialistas en Hostelería. 40 years. Oh, it's just, this is meat and chicken as well. And then right next to it, you've got a little bookshop, a little libreria, with its uh, salmon-coloured awning. Loads of uh, books in the, in the window. And this bookshop, this is a little segue, is actually the bookshop of the Fine Doré, which is really uh, a highlight of this street. Now, if you've ever perused guidebooks from Madrid in your local bookstore, I think it's very likely that you've seen the Cine Doré, the facade of this beautiful old cinema, very likely on the cover of one of these Madrid guidebooks. And I'm standing directly opposite this building now. You'll know it because it has this... Uh, kind of art deco modernista uh, facade and it's in a kind of terracotta salmon colour painted with white columns and then a very ornate pattern picked out also in white paint and then right above the door you have Fine Dore which is uh, inside this very ornate frame and it's, it's a very striking building, and I think it's very iconic in Madrid. Well, it is a cinema. It is actually, really, the Filmoteca Española. So it's the Spanish film archive, essentially. I guess I would uh, describe it now as a kind of art house movie theatre. And just looking up outside, it's got the Programa Marzo 2023, which is the uh, list of films which they're showing this month. They show three films per day. One at half five, one at eight, and another one at about half past nine. It opened in 1912, and it was originally called the Salon Doré. The version that stands here today was uh, actually built in 1922. It was rebuilt as a cinema hall by Crispolo Moro Cabeza. And it, uh, it screened movie premieres during the 1920s and 1930s. I'm just uh, admiring this young couple who are cuddling with their eyes closed, both 
pointing their faces up to the warm sunshine which is bathing their faces now they're romantically smooching i feel like i'm a bit <laughs> a bit voyeuristic but it's an incredibly romantic image just outside the cinema of a young spanish couple anyway the cinema screened um premieres but despite this rip-roaring success of the 20s and 30s its use started to dwindle and eventually the cinema started showing reruns twice a day and i don't know how true this is but i quite like this story um anyone will know uh who's been to spain that uh, spaniards like chewing seeds particularly sunflower seeds and there's a particular art to it which i've never mastered but you'll buy a, a packet of pipas as they're called which are seeds but normally sunflower seeds specifically and they will shell them and eat the little uh, seed inside at a, an amazing rate of uh, speed and efficiency many times without even really using their fingers to uh, take the shell off um and these are consumed usually uh well particularly at football matches or in the streets you'll often walk past park benches and you'll see a, a dusting of pipas shells littering the floor well anyway of course when people went to the cinema back in those days this is this was the uh the snack of choice there was no popcorn then they used to consume sunflower seeds and so i guess with this slightly maybe you could argue hmm lower class clientele showing old reruns uh at uh, cheaper prices brought the uh, sunflower seed eating crowd and so the cinema became christened el palacio de las pipas <laughs> the uh, sunflower seed palace because of the uh, quantity of sunflower seeds left strewn between the aisles and just a little note on the name cine doré i always thought doré uh, would have come from this, the uh, French word golden, which in Spanish would uh, be dorado. Apparently that is uh, slightly controversial and, and it's not certain. Some claim that it was named after the French artist Gustave Doré, but it, I like this version better. According to the writer Sanchez Drago, the cinema's original name was Cine do Re, so D-O hyphen R-E, uh, most probably alluding to musical notes do re so there you go who knows and i guess what is uh, really kind of quite surprising about this beautiful building was that it fell into into disuse and disrepair for about 30 years closed in 1963 and i imagine that's because of the uh, more modern larger scale cinemas which had developed by that time around the city which could seat many more people and uh, had more modern facilities, I, I guess. Um, but yeah, this place closed in 1963 and didn't reopen again, really, until the mid to late 1980s. Uh, it was taken over by Madrid's Municipal Council in 1982 and eventually reopened after an extensive renovation programme uh, in 1989. And since 1989... Uh, it was uh, made home to the uh, Filmoteca Española, as I mentioned earlier, which is the, uh, the Spanish film library or film archive. And up on its roof, nowadays in the summer, they have an outdoor cinema. They still have the uh, indoor cinema, obviously. And there's a guy rolling a, looks like a beer barrel into the foyer of the Cineteca. Let's have a little wander inside, if I can. When you walk in... 
you are faced with a white marble foyer. In fact, rather than a foyer, it's more of a bar cafe. I can feel the metro rumbling under my feet. That's very strange. It's actually the floor is vibrating from the metro, which was probably line one going right underneath <laughs> underneath the cinema. But you walk in, it's this lovely, cool, blue and white tiled foyer in keeping with this sort of art deco design. There's probably about a half a dozen people sitting, uh, all of them delightfully reading books, <laughs> not looking at their phones. You've got this blue tiled central staircase going up to a mezzanine. You've got a group of friends in the corner. And then you've got this very old school uh, glass uh, ticket uh, booth, I guess you would call it. And then you've got two screens, uh, three screens actually. You've got Sala, Sala Uno, Sala Dos and Sala Tres. And they've got these beautiful film posters dotted all around this foyer. <laughs> you've got a man struggling with, looks like very heavy beer barrels. <laughs> And if you look up into the staircase, up to the stairway, we've got Tiffany presents Ken Maynard in Fighting Through. These old Pathé posters, the Pathé cinema. Noche de Alboradas. Very colourful posters. And then in the centre of this uh, foyer, you have this uh, open kind of atrium which goes right up into the ceiling. I can see the beautiful blue sky outside. Let's head back out onto the street. Open the door. Back into the throng. Next stop. Well, I'm going to just quickly say something, actually, as I've stepped out back into the street. Almost opposite the Cine Dore are these two balconies. One's above a bar and the other one is above a greengrocer's, which is full of pears and oranges and apples, strawberries. Yeah, we're getting into strawberry season here in Madrid. But above, above these two uh, locales, you've got uh, these uh, quite eccentric balconies, which are dripping with succulents and cactuses or should I say cacti but either way and I they always uh, catch my attention when I walk uh, walk past so we're just walking past <laughs> Elm Street hopefully without any nightmares in Spanish Elm is Olmo so it's Calle del Olmo and on the uh, sign for the street there are people dancing around a tree in fact no it looks like they're dueling around the tree They've got their swords out. Like I said, carrying on walking, as you can probably hear, there's a very uh, lively terraza of about 20-odd tables. On a couple of the tables, it looks like we've got... One of them is like a bachelor party or a stag do. And then another one, which is a bachelorette party or a Hindu, depending if you're in the US or UK. Um, just outside uh, a bar which I think is called Mas Corazón. More hot. Taverna. And then you've got a queue on the other side. What's this? Ah, you've got a queue. It must be a queue of about 30 people queuing up to take, uh, to, to get uh, tortillas. 
have a look here. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, I didn't expect that. This place sells tortilla, Spanish tortilla, Spanish omelette, and cheesecakes. And it's called La Caracola, the snail. Um, they must be good because there's a huge queue of people at the counter here. The dogs being walked. Where I am now, then, is just outside the Mercado Anton Martin. I love this market. This is one of Madrid's um, municipal markets, of which pretty much every single neighbourhood has one. Quite often, they're nothing special to look at from the outside. You can quite easily just walk past and dismiss it. Um, but I would say that uh, it, most of the time they are worth a look inside and Mercado Anton Martin is no exception and I would say it's particularly worth having a look inside actually because it's had, uh, got some very good little food stalls as with many of Madrid's municipal markets which traditionally sold fruit and vegetables and meat and fish and dairy products pretty much everything you could need the uh, precursor to the modern supermarket a lot of these markets now because of modern supermarkets have had to adapt and evolve and change to uh, offer little uh, food stalls, little bars. So I've just walked in. This market has two floors. Most of them seem to. Right on my left, we've got a beautiful uh, stand selling olives, olive oils. There must be about 20 different varieties of olives here in big bowls. On the right, we've got the Vigneria, which is a little wine place. A few people doing a wine tasting there. We've got an Italian stand here doing bruschettas. Sicilian food. This is ringing a bell for some reason. I had to call the waiter over. A woman is just asking for half a pizza to be packaged up to take home. These amazing cheesecakes, they are ginormous and really deep. One of them looks like it's been smeared with dulce de leche. On this side, we've got risotto, cochetta. So, so this is like the Italian corner of the market up here. Got some Colombian food here, empanadas, arepas, papas criollas, arepa, crepes. Fish, we've got some fresh fish and prawns, mussels on display here. So you have these kind of stands, you know, they're like your typical market, indoor market glass counter. And then in front of the glass counter, you have tables, like tables and chairs laid out. So it's a bit like an indoor terraza situation. Ceviche, this lovely tiled white, uh, white and blue sign above this one saying El Mono de la Pila fine ceviches and we've got a bermuteria here uh, all different types of bermuth which you must try on a, a trip to madrid and then we've got another caracola caracola gastro oh, okay so this is the indoor part of the huge queue outside and there's a, another queue on the inside of this uh, store almost as big as the one outside so there are numerous other stalls as well which are shuttered, they're closed. I guess these are the kind of uh, stalls which actually do sell fresh produce probably more during the day. Let's go downstairs to the uh, lower level. This looks a lot quieter, yeah. Okay, so this is the level which is more your kind of 
produce to buy and take home. Although there is a cafe, it's like kind of like a posh cafe place. Well, posh. Uh, specialty coffee, let's say. So we're in this, yeah, it's just like a grey marbled market, interior market with lots of different bars and stands, tables and chairs everywhere. It's a bit quiet at the moment. I imagine later on this evening this will be much, much busier because, you know, at the moment we're in that kind of no-man's land in terms of Spanish eating and drinking. Well, eating, I should say. But it's too early for people to be going out and having their evening, evening meal. Two guys arguing over who's going to pay the bill. Mm, I can smell some kind of barbecued meat situation. Jamón, jamones, embutidos de Salamanca y Huelva. So there's a big cold meat stall here. It's all shuttered, it's all closed for now. May well, I imagine, open up later on this evening, which is, you know, when Spanish people go and do their shopping. I think this market opened in the 1950s, apparently because, well, I think for two or 300 years before, this whole area was an outdoor market. And like many of these outdoor markets across Europe, were eventually uh, rehoused inside purpose-built buildings for hygiene reasons. I would say the, the, the most curious, interesting thing about this municipal market in particular, without doubt, is that when you walk in, head upstairs to the top floor is home to the Amor de Dios Centro de Arte Flamenco y Danza Española. There is... <laughs> Of all things, a flamenco dance school above this market. Now, I've been here before. And in fact, if you check back to an episode I did with a a friend of mine called Leah Granger, who's a professional flamenco dancer, I came here back in uh, May of 2019 and I sat in on some of her flamenco dance classes absolutely amazing experience if you're interested in all things flamenco the history the terminology the music go back and check out that episode of the wedding spain podcast from uh, may 2019 so yeah this is this is the most famous flamenco dance school in madrid having said that they don't just teach flamenco here they do teach an array of different uh, dances as well but it's most notable for Flamenco, and it hasn't actually been here that long in this particular location. In this location, it's been here since I think the early to mid 1990s. Before that, it spent about, I don't know, 30 or 40 years in a location near here. What's like a Portuguese hen? bachelorette party group who've just come down the stairs from the flamenco school i think they were doing exactly what i'm doing is having a little nose inside which by the way you are allowed to do no one's going to tell you off for wandering up the stairs and poking your head in the door which i will do in a minute i'm standing on the stairs at the moment but yes the amor de dios the love of god uh, flamenco dance school recently celebrated its 70th anniversary it uh, was previously at a different location i think originally I think before it moved up here, it was, at the, it was at a street nearby, which was called Amor de Dios. And I think it's fair to say that some of the uh, most notable modern-day flamenco artists have passed through this school over the years. 
So I'm going to walk in. What I remember about this is these beautiful uh, flamenco costumes. They're all on display. Okay, and walks into the foyer. Hola, buenas. Por aquí, gracias. <laughs> Very kind guy behind the um, behind the reception desk. You walk in. It's you know it's basic. I mean, not basic, but it's um, a bit rough and ready. You've got this sort of old tiled floor. You've got flamenco posters of all different tableaus on the walls. You've got a couple of old, very old sofas that look like they come from a junk shop. And then you've got these glass cases with flamenco costumes in. Manuela Vargas. Some white frilly shirts. This is a men's costume with the trousers, the black waistcoat. One that looks almost like a traje de luces, like a bullfighter's costume. Posters everywhere. News clippings and articles all related to flamenco. And then you've got these just long corridors with an assortment of doors which all lead into different dance studios. Stick my head inside one. Ah, it's just some of them are big. This one's small with a mirror on the wall. A few pictures. There must be 100, 200 photos and pictures of flamenco dancers and flamenco posters advertising tableaus. And you poke your head in one of the studios and you've got some old wooden wicker chairs around the uh, perimeter of the studio. Hola. Our class has just finished. A few girls walking out from the studios. It's like a kind of impromptu museum of flamenco. I mean, this is a working flamenco or dance school that when you walk in, you can just walk in, you walk around. And it's quite incredible, just the, the volume of paraphernalia that sh- uh, which is on display. OK, so I just walk around to this side. It looks like what we've got going on here is, a, a, I would say, a fairly beginner's, maybe salsa class, as you can hear. No taconeo, no clacking of heels. If you want to hear that, go and, do go and check back the episode that I mentioned all about flamenco because I sit in on an advanced flamenco class. It's like machine gun fire. Oh, here we go. If I walk up here, you're going to hear exactly what I was talking about. Here we go. There we go, there's uh, The door is ajar. I sort of poked my head in, but I don't, I don't want to walk in. Although they probably wouldn't mind if you ask. So there you go, the Amor de Dios Flamenco slash dance school above Anton Martin Municipal Market. Okay, a girl from one of the classes, the class I just looked in on, has uh, just walked out. I think they're all coming out of their class now, still wearing their flamenco shoes. As you can hear. 
Fantastic. Okay, let's continue our, our wander down the street. So there you go. Do come and stick your head around the door. If you're in this part of Madrid, when you come and visit. And from the window, just on the staircase that leads up to the, the school, you can look down on the terraza that I was talking about, which is very busy now. So it's getting a bit busier now. There are more people on the street. This market is getting a bit busier. I think one or two more stalls have opened up since uh, I went in. Let's head on down the street. Oh, that smells good. What's that? Oh, tacos. We've got a taco stand here. It's really kind of spiced, mm, flavoursome smelling, <laughs> smelling meat. It's just hit my nose as I've walked out the door of the market there. So uh, we're back on um, Calle de Santa Isabel. And I think one thing I should mention, which I love, if you look up on the side of the market, there's a beautiful mural of a very enchanting, kind of haunted-looking girl with this kind of tussled black hair, flowers in her hair, wearing a kind of green and white shawl, red lips, and then a kind of purple-painted, almost like a mask over her eyes. And this is a mural which is painted on the side of the market. And then on her arm is like a tattoo of a flamenco dancer wearing this deep red flamenco, I suppose, traje de flamenco, I think it's called, and a red flower in her hair. And it's just on the corner of the building. It's, I love it because her eyes, when you look up at her, her, her eyes seem to follow you wherever you walk. So we're going downhill now. Now, I love this street because I guess these buildings date from a probably the 18th, 18th century, mid-18th century. They're painted in lovely pastel colours, most of them kind of pink and terracotta and pale green. They've all got their beautiful balconies. Some of them are two or three storeys. Some of them are five or six with these beautiful moulds and eaves and very detailed. And the other thing that's interesting, because we've got the flamenco school right there, there... Um, are a few, I don't know what to call them, flamenco stores, but the stores that have popped up, I guess, because of the presence of the Amor de Dios flamenco school, selling all things flamenco, which are flamenco dresses and suits and particularly the shoes. And there's one uh, at number seven, Calle de Santa Isabel, which is called Don Flamenco. Uh, one shutter is half up, the others are down, and if you look in the window that I can see, they make flamenco shoes and they've got the kind of wooden moulds I guess you would call them which they kind of build the leather around and then you can see here some flamenco shoes with a little heel which is a, I don't know, two inches black, red, green, white there are some castanets on display and then in the doorway lots of uh, posters advertising flamenco we've got uh, traditional places on the street but of course you know it's 2023 we've got a falafeleria we've got falafel we've got mexican cuisine we've got this wonderful old uh, hardware store ferreteria with lots of well, i think it specializes in lights all sorts of lights in the window And if you just take a little right onto Calle de los Tres Fs, Three Fish Street, 
and you walk, I don't know, not even 10 metres down on the left, there's a fantastic facade to these really old printers called Impenta Brismar. And I just love it. it. This must date back to, I don't know, 40s? Oh, there, yeah, 50s. It says, founded in 1955, fundada en 1955. And it's just a very old printer's uh, shop. I think they also did, like, bookbinding and that kind of thing. Back up a few metres, back onto Calle de Santa Isabel. My next stop, I think, is going to be... Um, Ebaco Barbenteveo. I hope it's open. I think it looks like it is. Um, just where we are now, we've got the Madrid BC Bicycle Park. So these Madrid... I did an episode about that, so I'll do check back. Cycled around Madrid on the Madrid BC. These are electric bikes that you can rent. Sierra Coffee. This is kind of um, an upscale coffee bar. Tell so, yeah, this street is gradually becoming gentrified, little by little. Now then... When you walk down this street, you will see uh, on the left a blue sign saying cafeteria in a very retro kitsch typeface. And you will see uh, it says cafeteria in sort of plastic, molded plastic. And then it says Barbenteveo in the, on the awning. Love this place. I'll explain to you why in a minute. But right opposite this bar leading off Calle Santa Isabel is uh, a street called Calle de Buena Vista. You will automatically, your, your eyes will automatically be drawn to the street. Buena Vista, well, yeah, great view or beautiful view, which it has. This street has a very steep incline. It leads all the way down right into the heart of the Lava Pierce neighbourhood. And it's got this wonderful view of balconies, washing that's hung out on lines, blowing in the breeze, that late afternoon sun now. There's a kind of haziness in the air. You've got the pink and orange and terracotta and yellow and cream colour of all of these apartment townhouses, buildings uh, as they slope down the street with their black balconies, plants draped over the balconies. And you can almost imagine in the distance, well, you can see in the distance on the horizon, uh, beyond the rooftops and old TV antenna, and aerials punctuating into the uh, hazy blue sky now sun is sly is starting to go down you can see on the horizon just more madrid you can see the more extremities of madrid but you also imagine that it could be the sea i always think and a lot of people say this that you look down these streets and you can imagine that this would be you know, the point where you see the horizon and where you see the, uh, if Madrid had a beach, if only, where you would see the sea sparkling in the distance on the horizon. And that noise you can hear is a guy taping a sign to another sign. <laughs> Bizarrely. Okay, but a little, this is a new thing. Well, it's not new, but it's something I'm seeing more of is eco tuk-tuk. These little battery-powered tuk-tuks which are zipping tourists around the city and that's what that was that just went past but let's head into um, Cafeteria Benteveo bit of a breeze that's picked up now the sun is yes going down I think the sun will set tomorrow the clocks change actually the sun will set in about an hour from now maybe a bit less 
and you're just getting the point where the, the sun is just clipping the top of the uh, the buildings. It's really highlighting that beautiful bright white and salmon and pink uh, facades. Right, let's tuck into Barbenteveo and I'll tell you why I like this place and a little curious thing about it. In we go. Hola, buenas. Eh, un vermouth, porfa. Gracias. Okay, a bit more lively in here. Just ordered myself a little vermouth with a little slice of orange in it and a tiny little glass, which is probably about two and a half inches tall. Now, I love this place because, uh, for me, muchas gracias. They're very friendly in here. It's always lively, but I just love the interior because it's so kitsch. This place used to be a churreria way before I moved to Madrid. It dates back to 1940s, so uh, I don't know when it changed. I think in about the 1990s, mid-90s, it became an actual bar. And I think it was, when it first became a bar, it was famous for its breakfast. And it was famous for uh, playing indie music at that time. I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. But, but before that, and since the 1940s, it was a churreria selling churros and chocolate. And what I love about it is they, when they turned it into a bar, they didn't change the decor. So it's got this <laughs> kind of 1950s interior of a kind of dark green walls, brown and white marble, old formica tables. It's got this lovely red formica bar old light fittings on the ceiling, old fans. It's got this kind of brownie beige panelled ceiling as well. And it's got a certain charm to it, which I've always been fond of. But also for me, this is a bit of a nostalgia trip as well. I think this was the very first bar I ever came into in Madrid. And I remember making friends in this bar one night when I wandered in on my own, determined to try and practice some Spanish, and I ended up making friends in this bar with uh, a couple of girls who then became friends who I'm still in touch with. They no longer live in Madrid, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so I have, a, I have a great fondness for this place. I'm walking in here, not really speaking much Spanish at all, feeling a bit intimidated by how busy it was and trying to make myself heard at the bar. And here I am, all these years later, sitting in here. It hasn't really changed at all since then. In fact, it hasn't changed at all. So whenever I'm around this part of the city, I always try and make the effort to pop in and have a canya and, yeah, have a little reminisce. And as I sit at the bar, you can look out the window and you can see straight down Calle Buena Vista. And you can see that gorgeous uh, horizon and the sun going down. I'm just looking up at the menu here. We've got, yeah, tostas calientes. We've lots of toast with different toppings on. They've given me a little tapas of, I think it's um, guacamole and some, some nuts. And the other little curious thing about this place, because of its decor, it was used in the series, in the Spanish TV series, El Ministerio del Tiempo, filmed some scenes in here. Highly recommended. 
one of my favorite cozy bars of Madrid. Gonna have a little sip of my vermouth, chin chin. Right, so we're heading out. Street lights are flicked on as I walked out the door. Sky now is turning a lovely kind of fuchsia, pink, rose color. Opposite me is Ferveteria Santa Isabel Cafeteria. We're at number 36 now. This place is a very uh, typical, you know, old school bar with a few tables outside. On the opposite side of the street, however, is La de Espronceda, which is much busier. As we walk down, um, we've got these sort of carob trees with their carob pods hanging off the trees, which I've always thought uh, quite exotic coming from England. And I would say, really, the top end of this street starts off looking like a fairly normal Madrid street, you know. Um, it's not a main road, it's a kind of back street vibe with apartments and bars and shops and greengrocers and that kind of thing. The, f- the more you walk down the street, the kind of grander it gets. Until the point when you get to, I would say, about where I'm going to now, which is the junction with Calle del Salitre and a restaurant slash bar called La Berlona, the street uh, takes on a, a slightly different feel. It widens slightly. When you get to Calle de San Cosme y San Damián, I love the street. You look down the street and you've got a lovely church tower at the end set against this lovely sky. You've got this beautiful, again, salmon facade and this little uh, church tower. You get these little perspectives as you walk down. It's it's directly opposite the uh, Taberna de Eologio. On the right-hand side, as we head down the street now, the next stop is the Fundación de los Ferrocarriles Españoles, the... uh, Spanish Railway Foundation, I suppose you would call it. It is incredibly grand building at number 44. There's gorgeous doors, uh, buttery coloured facade and balconies. It's just where I'm standing now because this, now the street really starts to incline enough that I've got a vista to the end of the street almost through the trees. Um, that you can see the Reina Sofia Museum in the distance. The part that I can see lit up in the, in the, at the end of the street looks fantastic. And you can see almost silhouettes of people walking around inside this glass tower, which is the lift. And then you have this convent right here with this amazingly beautiful brown varnished wooden door, which is studded with kind of like metal stars. And what we are essentially looking at right now is the facade of the church of the monastery of Santa Isabel. Now, this monastery was founded in 1593 at the personal request of Felipe II, Philip II, in memory of his daughter, La Infanta Isabel Clara Eugenia. So, this is where the street takes its name from. At one point, this housed the Royal Tapestry Factory of Belazquez fame. So, Karen walking down the street, you basically have this complex of buildings which runs for about a block, a block and a half of interconnected uh, buildings, facades. Behind these facades is a huge complex of gardens and courtyards and patios and other buildings, which you cannot see. But as you keep walking down, you continuously see this reference to 
Santa Isabel, for, for example, I'm now at number 48, and we've got Real Monasterio, Santa Isabel, Agustinas, uh, Recoletas. And it's curious because you have this you know, smooth, plastered facade in a kind of buttery, lemony yellow colour, which then turns into this very harsh stone uh, and brickwork facade as well. And this whole complex runs all the way down the remainder of the street, almost. And when you get to number 35, you've got this little fat... Well, it is a fountain, or it was a fountain, but it's no longer actually flowing with water, which is uh, the Fuente de Santa Isabel, which would have fed water to the convent. And it's still here. It's a huge marble plinth. Um, but there's no longer any kind of tap or pump or anything coming out of it, unfortunately. It's just across from Restaurante Alfes. The terrazas are full, lovely, beautiful, white, crisp blossom being lit up by the street, the lanterns, the street lights behind them. It's not dark yet, but it's that kind of very deep blue glow now. The sun is really going down. Uh, on the left-hand side now, this beautiful two-storey building with these... Big arcaded windows, beautiful row of lanterns at this time, anyway, lighting up the, the facade, glowing a kind of soft pink and yellow. And as we walk over, there goes a Ghana's bike doing the uh, Glovo, or Deliveroo, delivering food. And I see uh, a Madrid flag and a Spanish flag hanging above the door of this place here. And we've arrived at the Illustre Colegio Oficial de Médicos de Madrid at number 51. This is the institution that all practicing doctors in Madrid have to be a member of in order to practice. This is the, you know, the, the, the college, the official medical council, the official college of uh, practitioners, medical practitioners. Uh, on the left-hand side of the doors, we have a reference to Ramon y Cajal. And again, anyone who knows Madrid quite well will know that there's a very big hospital called Hospital Ramon y Cajal. And there's a, a little bust of him glowing under this uh, street lamp on the wall there. It says Santiago Ramon y Cajal, Médico Colegiado de Madrid, número 438, Fue premio Nobel en 1906. So he, this is a reference to a very eminent doctor at the time who was a member of the Madrid College of Doctors. And he won the uh, Nobel Prize in 1906. Wow. En este edificio actual sede del Colegio de Médicos, cuando era facultad de medicina. Okay, so this was the Faculty of Medicine. We are really reaching the end of, of this street now. It eventually comes out into the square next to the Reina Sofia Museum. So it seems that in the mid-18th century, all of this complex of buildings here were turned into hospitals. And now, interestingly, which is just adjacent to the Reina Sofia Museum, part of that hospital complex, which is called the Clinico de San Carlos, then became the Real 
Conservatorio Superior de Música de Madrid, which is the Royal Conservatory of Music of Madrid, which fronts onto uh, the square which it shares with the uh, Reina Sofía and the Hotel <laughs> Hotel Mediodía with its red neon lights shining out across the square here. Where I am standing now, I don't think I've done this before. I just stood up on a stone plinth right uh, directly on my right-hand side. I have the two glass elevator towers of the uh, Reina Sofía Museum. And just as I cast my eye past these glass elevators, we've got a couple of kids a couple of kids kicking a football around in the square, which I just, for me, is so Spanish. And I've got another little kid who's probably about eight years old, rollerblading across the square, wearing a helmet. It's just smashed into the wall. And as I look across the square, there are terrazas. We've got all different age groups over there. What a wonderful way to spend a Saturday evening. We've got a few teenagers staring at their phones. And just in the gap, of the original course, I would imagine, of Calle Santa Isabel, I can see the Atocha train station. I can see the kind of ornate metal frame of the building with the Spanish flag being gently caressed by the evening breeze. And it's lit up in this beautiful uh, purple mauve colour, which is what they're doing at the moment. They light it up in all sorts of different colours. And I can see a crown, and just below the crown, the clock, which is marking... I think it says five past eight, which I think is probably accurate, actually. And let's not forget, I mean, for me, this street that I've walked down is a very, you know, in some ways very traditional and very authentic, but in many other ways, it's a central Madrid street, which is changing and evolving and gentrifying. Um, We can't ignore that. So I think I will end uh, my little wander down the street here. So again, thank you for listening um, you know, this episode really was, for me, an opportunity just to get back into podcasting again after a year. It's amazing, you know, I've produced 105 episodes and it's amazing how easy it is just to get out of the habit of doing it and kind of feeling a bit shy about doing it again after such a long time, believe it or not. And this is more or less how I wanted to come back. Uh, how I started, which was doing this, walking and talking and observing and sharing my thoughts and feelings about where I am. And I, and I hope it's been pleasurable for listeners who know me and have been following this podcast for uh, a number of years now and who are very, very big Spain fans at heart. But equally, I hope it's been uh, informational and useful and transportative for listeners to the podcast who've really only recently found me and are interested in Spain, whether it's just a trip to Spain or a trip to Madrid or a little uh, insight into the real Spain. So with that, I will leave it there. And I really, really hope that I'll be back again soon with another more, probably more organised uh, podcast with hopefully with a guest talking about something a little bit more concrete. Hasta la próxima.